0: Austin 316 says I just whipped your ass And hey, what's the gonna do? It doesn't matter how you're doing Woo! Wheel of dealing Living this life jet flying.
1: Can you dig it dig it sucker? Would you please Shut the hell up You don't know what hard times are daddy The cream will rise to the top Oh yeah Oh yeah This is a human rubble what up what up welcome to episode 124 of keep the kayfabe i'm mike sitting here with my boys ready to talk some wrestling i hope everybody's having a fantastic week uh the nhl playoffs are upon us getting deep and exciting we got great wrestling some new appearances but we got a lot of great news in the pipeline coming up for summer that we're gonna get to in just a minute. And it but we have to announce the boys before we do that. So over in Glendale, somebody who keeps it regal, Mr. Steve Grobschmidt. How are you, Grabby?
2: Mr Kennedy.
1: <laughs> <Who> Kennedy. <cares?
2: laughs> wow. Hey, he's his name came his name came up in my research for this episode, so it's relevant. Really?
1: Yeah. Okay. Doesn't he do a lot of backstage stuff, though, still? He's a trainer. He's got
2: his own school, I think. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. uh, he's also the pride of Green Bay, Wisconsin. True. Wow. Local hero.
1: Eh. I didn't even know that. For real. Mm -hmm. I'm already learning something new. This is going to be a very educational episode. But before we get to all that good knowledge, let's go down to Bayview. Somebody who keeps it freshly squeezed. His name is Mr. Matt Michelson. What up, Matt?
0: I'm always good, and one intro that's always good and probably the most common intro in Keep the KFAP history is "Hello, ladies." Uh, Gary got oh, it last boy. week. I'm I bringing did. it back.
1: Yes, yes. Not, I, I, think uh, <laughs> Matt is. Uh, there might be a new best friends developing here. Steve, no, are you okay with sh- that? Shut your mouth! All right. Well, he'll. You turn. heard him. He's the man with the golden pipes. Mr. Gary
3: Williams. What up, Gary? How are you? What up, everybody? It's great to be here again. And, and you know, uh, I was thinking long and hard about uh, what I was going to do tonight. And I thought to myself, oh, you didn't know. Your ass better call somebody. I thought wow, that would be yeah. apropos.
0: Good vibrato there on the end.
3: Thank you very much. I did my my best uh, to live up to the to the moniker that uh, that Mike has given me.
1: Yeah, well, the last episodes, uh, I think you were on two before our last uh, deep dive episode on the Bushwhackers. I hope you all enjoyed it. You always sang a song like you came out and uh, sang each time. So now it's like this guy's a vocalist. So I was giving you all the oops, but maybe I'll give you a new intro. But we're still in the development phases of uh, <laughs> of my character. Of this, my character is going through some current. changes. Yeah, we're, we're yeah, kind of in miss-
2: a, we're, we're kind of in NXT right now with a Thank you, Mr.
3: McMahon.
1: Thank you, Mr. <laughs> way before McMahon. NXT, we're we're in like the Dudley Gym, our, o- O-V-W. or Mr. Kennedy's, yeah, Mr. Kennedy's school in Green Bay, because we are from Wisconsin. If you're new listeners uh, coming to us after listening to, like I said, last week's bushwhackers episodes we're inviting gary in he's doing some deep research for us joining the team because uh yeah we just got a lot of really exciting things coming up for us this summer for the keep the kayfabe crew and we're going back somewhere uh that we have been before and we're so honored it happens every other year it's a little fest called crusher fast, and it's happening in south milwaukee where the crusher was from and it's Woo. going to be so much fun so Woo. matt has more of how this all developed and, and matt, hometown of
3: deets. gary williams and steve grubschmidt i mean that's
2: he- right we were born there
3: all the greats that's true the hometown all the of the hometowns. yeah uh so for those
0: of our longtime listeners you probably are thinking back to episode 58 or 59 where i want to say it was about two years ago we interviewed Vern Gagne and jim brunzel greg Gagne. Greg Ganya. Greg Ganya and Jim Greg, Gagne. Gagne. You, got a lot of, you got a lot of
3: editing got, to do. I've got, I've got, I've got some serious teaching to do right now. Steve, we have some serious teaching to do. Right I, now.
0: I feel so bad because yeah. when we interviewed those guys, so <laughs> Mike, you can obviously edit all this out, yeah. but when we no. interviewed those guys. So Mike actually had to go back in and edit how he said their names. Oh, because it was oh, wrong like four or five times.
3: Oh, so. I know. As, as, as as a young listener of your podcast, oh, I can't even so tell you, it was like nails on a chalkboard for me. Okay. Like, it was
0: like, so, so the oh issue God. though is I can't unhear it now. So it's Greg, <laughs> Greg, Gre- 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 yes. Greg Gagne. Yes. Gagne. Very um, good.
3: Very good. Brunzel? Jim Brunzel. I, I, Brunzel. No, Brunzel. 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 Emphasis yeah. on the Zell. I
1: say no. Gagne Zell. and Brunzel to their faces. I say Ganya and
0: Brunzel. So that works. Um. Okay, cool. Yeah, Crusher Fest. We're back, baby. So two years ago, (laughs) for those of our (laughs) longtime listeners, episode, I want to say it's episode 58 or 59, we interviewed... Greg Gagne and Jim Brunzel, the former Killer Bees from WWF. No, living oh, no, 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 <laughs> no, they're the high
3: flyers.
2: <laughs> God
0: damn
3: it. They're high flyers from the AWA.
0: For those of our listeners, this has got to be like the fourth take, take of this. Yeah. yeah. We're things
3: it. up. We're leaving we're, it.
2: We're doing it live.
3: We're anyway, doing it live. Call it in the ring. Yeah. Or you're just going to yeah. call this. You guys remember?
2: Rain. Do you guys remember? I think it showed up in one of the, uh, like, I think it was the Nitro uh, Monday Night Wars or something, but uh, Sid, who was was not a great promo guy Psycho no. did oh. oh, yeah. justice he was doing a promo in, in wcw with jim ross and he started screwing up and he's like all oh. right hold on let's do this again and jim ross says, oh we're you're live brother. yeah you're, we're, we're live buddy
1: <laughs> oh dude he did, he did it all the time that's our our buddy uh over at russell botch he's got psycho Sid, Mike Slips. Yeah, it's oh, so that's a great, great one dude. to check out. He's got that's at least right. ten or twelve strung together. But Matt, yeah, totally. Matt,
3: I just feel like this is the moment that I can now begin maybe to take you under my wing and begin to continue to educate you on the wrestling greats of yesteryear, uh, so that we can all enjoy some of this wonderful history and legacy.
0: Well, as our listeners are probably figuring out, that probably needs to happen because clearly <laughs> I can't keep any of it straight. But but before we get into that, I do want to just tell our guests a little bit about what they can expect at this year's Crusher Fest. So there's been several wrestlers announced, all really exciting names. Tonight, we're going to be talking about Cowboy Bob Orton, not Steel Gary's Thunder, but that's what you're going to hear. You might recognize the last name. We'll talk about it. There's also going to be Al Snow visiting at Crusher Fest. We've got The Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase, Unreal. I'm excited for that. Yes. One half of the Rockers, Marty Gennetti. And then this one is one that's really going to blow our longtime listeners' minds. You've heard him here before on Cameo. You've heard us talk about him a lot since day one. He's a longtime friend of the channel. Greg the Hammer Valentine will be at Crusher Fest in real life. We are super excited about it. We may get a chance to talk to some of these guys. You'll just have to keep listening. But up until we get to Crusher Fest, we're going to be doing a deep dive on each of these wrestlers each week just for you. You can get the full history behind them so that when we actually do go to Crusher Fest, we get to talk to some of these folks hopefully you get to hear about it and have all the background and really get the most out of these stories. So for those of our longtime listeners, you already know what's coming. For our newer listeners, keep listening. You're going to love it. But with that, I'm going to turn it over to Gary because we got to hear about Cowboy Bob Orton.
3: Yeah, thanks, Matt. I appreciate it. And um, yeah, to the listeners, I think this is going to be, you know, these next couple of weeks are going to be a great opportunity for all of you to just kind of like, I mean, you know, as we've often talked, even on this podcast, there are different generations of wrestling fans. And, you know, the, the name Orton does ring a bell for sure with modern day uh with randy orton but you know cowboy bob orton and and then his father before bob orton senior you know randy orton is actually a third generation wrestler and the the list of third generation wrestlers is pretty impressive i mean you look at uh, both Randy Orton, um, Bray Wyatt, and his brother, Bo Dallas, those are also um, third-generation wrestlers, Blackjack Mulligan to Mike Rotunda. Um, you also know Natalia. Um, Jim the Anvil Nightheart was her father, and they are all related within the the whole heart family uh, within there, and so um, the, another one uh, is Curtis Axel. Uh, he is the son of another AWA local great, Kurt Henning, um, who then was the son of uh, Larry Hen- Larry the Ax Henning. Another one that I don't know if any of you will uh, quite know is uh, Andrade is a third generation wrestler, and the last oh. one, yeah, the oh. last one um, is. Ted DiBiase Jr. and so it was hot in the
2: news right now. (laughs) Yeah,
3: hot in the news right now. So uh, the Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase's son. So Bob Orton kind of represents this really lost, uh, this interesting group of um, of superstars who um, not only have made uh, a, a great impact in their careers, but I think really are going to also be known as people who have made an impact on the next generation of wrestling in a way that's pretty special. And so, um, so yeah, we're excited to bring you today Bob Orton and talk a little bit more about him uh, and then, you know, get you kind of ramped up and r- excited for Crusher Fest. Steve, are we
0: going to hear your story about when you saw Cowboy Bob Orton and he was babyface, but he wasn't?
2: We will because, uh, yeah, Gary and I both were there in the crowd. Uh, I think we tracked it down to the actual show. I think we did. Um, yeah. There aren't a lot of options because I'm pretty positive. Yeah, we'll, we'll get there in a, uh, along the journey, but definitely because it's one of my favorite stories. Awesome. I think we've heard that story more on Keep the KFib than my Del Venus intro. So I'm
0: really excited <laughs> to
2: hear it again. <laughs> Sure. Yeah, no, it true. might actually rival how many times they've told the Jacques Rougeau giving me the thumbs up mm. at County <laughs> Stadium at <laughs> Yeah, That was
1: a good one, too. Or me calling Greg Valentine George. Yes. Um, yes, maybe I got that record still. That's Hopefully, a- I don't do it again at Crusher Fest. I just- oh my gosh, <laughs> you gotta,
2: you know, we gotta make cheat co- like co- co- like yeah. notes. Look at, but in case you have a moment, <laughs>
1: <laughs> like Spinal tapping like looking at the on the back of the guitar to know yeah. what city they're in. Like literally, have my hand up in front of my face. I'll still get it. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
2: It. <laughs> this is Jorge anyway. Valentino. It's great. Fuck me.
1: <laughs> anyway. All right, so where's uh where's Bob Orton from, and like what was his mm-hmm.
3: upbringing like, Gary? Yeah, so Bob, um, it was it's interesting because he uh, was originally born in Kansas City, Missouri, um, but he uh and and so and one other uh, one caveat to the wrestling fans to our listeners, always remember like our research as much as I work hard and we all work hard to provide you the the most accurate research possible you always have to remember it is it's got to be laced with an asterisk because it's coming by via multiple medians so it's whether it's um research online whether it's listening to an interview of them i i did get a chance um to um before the show listen to um uh of an interview uh, off of Hannibal TV with Bob Orton, which was really fascinating uh, to actually listen to him. Um, But one of the things that he talked about was the fact that he had gotten moved around a lot. And a lot of that was because his father, Bob Orton Sr., was a professional wrestler. And so he was in the territory days. So uh, he was literally moving from territory to territory. Bob uh, Orton said that he was in 12 different schools growing up as a young man. Wow as he was going through the territories. And I think the place that he kind of landed the most or really got his start um, was in his debut was in 1972. Um, He's still wrestling today. Hall of Famer 2005. Um, Another really interesting thing about Bob is he had a brother named Barry Orton, uh, and he was known as a wonderful jobber in the WWF days known as Barry Orton. Oh, and he would always do this big o with exaggerated
2: oh with his hands. Yeah.
1: I was going to say if Barry Horowitz was related to Bob Orton some way, I would have I would have died cuz he's my ultimate favorite jobber.
2: He was basically like yeah. A Barry Horowitz before Barry, you know. He was.
1: I love yeah. that name, Barry.
2: In that era, they never, you know, is one of those another examples where they not yeah. once acknowledged he was an Orton.
3: Yeah, never really, never really acknowledged. I, 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 in fact, it wasn't until I was doing research where I really put two and two together, and I was like, "Oh my gosh, you guys, like, <laughs> that was his brother." Shit. Was like, oh, interesting. Um, yeah. So he was trained. So he, uh, went to college, dropped out. Uh, very similar, actually, to his son. So Bob Orton got trained by the great Hiro Matsuda, and um, I don't know if that name rings a bell to all of you, but there is another. Truly famous wrestler who was also trained by Hiro Matsuda, and that was Hollywood Hulk Hogan.
0: Oh, man. That's right. No way. I was going to say Logan Paul, but that didn't seem right. <laughs> Logan
3: Paul. <laughs> so. <laughs> close, <laughs> close. Bob Martin basically gets his start in the in championship wrestling in Florida, Um and he teamed with his father one of bob Orton's uh, many uh talents was the inventor of the superplex um mm-hmm. which was uh at the time was a, a brand new devastating move um now we obviously see a few uh, plexes and things off the top rope but he um, invented that he did he yeah. actually was the inventor wow. of the superplex well that's something i i'm yeah. glad
1: i learned tonight because yeah i do think about yeah. it because it's like ah this guy's only so good because he does the you know, the the suplex off the second turnbuckle. I think you really do make it as a rec- wrestler if you have, have that move in your repertoire. Otherwise, you honestly can't be considered one of the greats, in my opinion. So, no, if no. you don't perfect no, that, I then mean, you're... I always... always a... no. I... Hmm?
2: It looks no, devastating. It's always been a favorite of mine. Oh, big time. Yeah.
3: He so orton started under a mass under the hood um he was a mass wrestler called the invader from 73 so the 72 to 76 where he really um kind of like made his his big break um he had an angle with uh dirty dick slater in which they attacked a young rick flair at the time this was prior to rick flair becoming the Royal champion they did a assisted pile driver so in us in essence you know um on the floor hurting rick's neck and forcing him out of action um for so in essence it was rick's time to leave the territory to go to another territory um only to come back in 1983 with a bat and go after D- dick slater and bob Orton, wow so.
0: that's the one story you'll hear where rick flair got attacked by a dirty dick
3: <laughs> <laughs> no <laughs> nicely done
0: ah. That was amazing. Sorry, you teed that one up so well, Gary.
3: Val Venus would be so happy for you. Val Venus <sighs> oh, would be so. Yeah. Um, hey, there's a
1: lot of victims out there, and we're not laughing because the dude was
3: <laughs> disgusting. Yes, we're, we yeah, we do
1: respect all of our listeners that you know have been sexually assaulted. Yes. great chirp, Matt.
3: Loved it. So one, a couple things about this period of time. So, um, Bob Orton isn't. He doesn't take credit for. We're going back to Hogan. He doesn't take credit necessarily in his interview with finding Hulk Hogan, but he does say that he was one of the that the 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 bar that Hulk Hogan used to play bass guitar at, because that was how Hogan was first a, literally a rock star. He was a bass guitarist in a band. He would play in this in this in this bar in Florida, and it would always that's where the wrestlers would go after the matches. So. Dude. um He does say, Bob, that Hogan did approach him and said, man, I really want to get into the business. And um, and that's when Orton was like, you really need to get hooked up with a hero, Matsuda. And um, Mm -hmm. but Bob doesn't. Bob said what made it very clear he wasn't he didn't find Hogan necessarily, but he did recall an exact conversation in which he prompted Hogan to make sure that he caught up with Hiro Matsuda, who eventually did train Hogan, broke his leg. And then uh, Hogan came back, he trained him, and then the rest is history. Can
1: you imagine if Hulk Hogan was a better bassist than he was a wrestler? <laughs> like, what would the world actually be like if he's like, fuck you, man? If Bob Orton wasn't there at that bar that night, and he's like, you know what? Tonight's the night I'm actually going to take some initiative on this thing that's been bothering me. I'm not going to be the next fucking um, Victor Wooten or whatever great bassist that I love that's out there. But, uh, you know, like, what if, what if is what I'm saying? That's right. He could be
2: still known as, like, the bassist for, like, um... uh,
1: they probably weren't even good things. like what yeah. was <laughs> what was the band's name do you know hulk hogan's band's name what it you was, what? was it that good? is
3: that is a great gr- that is a great question and i do not have that that will come up on another right. episode well I maybe
1: believe. we'll ask uh cowboy bob that at crusher fest be like was it even good like did you even I like? Wonder, like yeah that would be what? that
3: would be a fun question to ask him like when you went to see it when you went to listen to hulk, to hulk hogan was were they any good like was yeah all right i'll keep that I, in the bank that's I have good. the
0: answer to that question, but I would love to hear it from Cowboy Bob Orton. So, Bob, if you're <laughs> listening to this, I had a crusher fest just we'll, we'll we'll throw you a softball. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh,
3: so um, right. here there, I will there's about four parts to, to the rest of Bob's career. I think the first part is his NWA days in 8081. That's when he actually developed and was given the Cowboy gimmick. Um he, you know, i think a lot of um i think a lot of the things about bob then kind of spurred off from there in terms of that gimmick um and then in 81 he bounced to the WWF, which wasn't that uncommon at that time if you recall um there was still a lot of collaboration amongst the territories so he was kind of being moved around and he had a huge feud with Bob Backlund, who was the long reigning champion at the time. Um, and that was his first run. So he, he really did have, he, he had a really important, uh, championship run, uh, never won, but he, um, he, he cites, um, in his interview that Bob Backlund was by far one of the strongest wrestlers that he ever, ever, ever wrestled. Um, it was a main event program. Um, and, um, and this is when he uh, gets introduced to Andre the Giant. And, um, and one of the things I loved about his interview, and I think something that we'll talk about probably a little later, is they really—you know—you got to think about you know, the '80s wrestling. Those guys, you know, it's not—it wasn't—it's not today. They literally would drive to places in cars together for long, extended periods of time, get to the arenas at whatever time, and then they would just hang out with each other. And and Bob orton recalls these funny stories about just playing cribbage with andre the giant and i just thought to myself like god i if only we would have known what we know now i would have loved to have been a fly on the wall and heard some of those just those stories right like or just to be there and play cribbage with, the, with those guys
2: i mean you Can think you me- of the nonsense we, we say on and off camera like those dudes yeah. probably had like some inside jokes and stuff that were probably really be fun
1: and and Andre probably had somebody move the pieces on the cribbage board for him because those little <laughs> yeah, twi- those little things, I mean. Those
2: pegs, yeah. Yeah. The big fingers. Those are
1: tiny.
3: Yes. Well, funny enough, um, we'll go a step further back to Val Venus, back to Dirty Dick. Andre dated uh, Randy or uh, Bob Orton's sister for a little while. Oh, wow. And Bob Orton wow. said in the interview he was asked about it. And he's like, oh, I just, I don't know. I don't know. I didn't ask. Dude, about that stuff. That's what
1: the cribbage is. What probably bonded them. Like probably kept them from killing each other. Like yeah. kill them in cards, not in real life. I don't know. Yeah.
3: <laughs> so he goes back to the NWA in 83 and then national expansion occurs in 84. And we know that McMahon started raiding the territories and it, it's in uh, 1984 that, Bob Orton now becomes Ace Orton and actually becomes Piper's bodyguard. Um, and that is. Do you, guys,
2: do you guys remember? I mean, I don't know, like this way like a little before your time, but did you, do you remember like early Piper like that in WWF? I don't, it was a little
0: bit before my time, before I started watching. So I'm not really familiar with this era. Okay.
1: I learned it when they had Piper's A&E special. Oh like, yeah. Uh, Touched yeah. On it for a little bit, but I don't remember like witnessing it as a child sure
3: yeah you guys were you guys were younger yeah orden recalls just this amazing relationship so he actually met roddy piper back in the carolinas um steve and i have kind of talked about that on a previous takeover episodes about 1980 81 and it and piper had made this leap from portland went over to the carolinas um and Orton just says could not say enough nice things about him in terms of his, the genuineness of Roddy Piper. That what you saw is what you got, and and what you saw on TV was exactly the way he was. He said there were times where they would literally be in a car for however many hours. Roddy would start talking and 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 still keep talking four hours later, and Bob Orton would just be listening to. He would have <laughs> the most amazing stories.
2: Yeah, just imagine oh. that. Like just the the ima- like you know, like the hours upon hours with this larger than life legend and you're just yeah you're just like like a mental like cassette recorder like just collecting all these stories yeah
1: and then in your spare time you're basically beating people up for a living in a ring and like being a rock star in your own right too yeah getting built up What's next for him, Gary? Well,
3: so so he recalls a story that I hope that you guys will also talk to him about. He recalls this amazing story. He, during the Carolina run, um, so there's this group of guys that basically the he clumps to. So the guys are people like um, Don Morocco, Roddy Piper, JYD, Andre the Giant, um, Bob. Uh, not bad. Heard of him. Yeah, not bad yeah, company. Exactly. He, exactly. He spends... The better majority of his time in that circle in and Steve and I were talking off camera before this about just the amount of time they spent with each other, the camaraderie they had and the interchangeableness of them. They literally would pick feuds with each other and they would just go on a run for X number of months they were like best friends and yet they're putting on these amazing matches. And so Steve, we talked a little bit about that, you know, prior to the tonight's show yeah. and, and, and about that camaraderie and how, it, how it really did translate into magic in the ring. What d- didn't you think so?
2: Yeah. And it's like, I mean, I think a little of that happens nowadays, but it's probably kind of a lost thing where these guys just know each other. So, well. you know, we've used the term even on our own podcast here, call it in the ring and stuff. Those guys just knew each other so well. They could just make up shit on the fly and it would work. It'd be great. And sometimes they'd go to the well on things they knew. Sometimes they'd try something different, but it was like this just almost like they spoke the same unspoken language and could just work Mm -hmm. these incredible angles and stories and matches. And yeah, it was natural to them. And I I just, thats yeah, sorry to to jump over you, Steve.
0: I was going to say, I feel like that's the one piece of pro wrestling that regardless of the decade or the era or mm-hmm. style, calling it in the ring just seems like something that's always there. And anytime you mm-hmm. see guys do that and it works, it's always a phenomenal match. And I think mm-hmm. a big piece of that is a lot of the time, especially when you watch modern wrestling, and I'll digress from this very quickly, but when you watch modern wrestling, a lot of times, especially on TV, you can tell when they're telegraphing things in the ring. Mm-hmm. And it's mm-hmm. a, a big part of that is just because you know, there's only so much time in the day, these guys only get so much time in the ring with each other. You can't get that kind of chemistry like these guys did back in the 80s. You're not doing house shows every night. You're mm-hmm. not traveling and wrestling 300 days a oh, year. so
3: right. With exactly. the same
0: 10 people or whatever the case might be. So for these guys, yeah, practice was definitely part of it, but there is definitely an element of chemistry, magic, whatever you want to call it, that comes into play here. And yeah, it sounds to me like these guys were no different. Well, yeah.
2: you something you just said made me think of something that like I don't think people can appreciate enough about pro wrestling and if you're somebody listening to this that is like a casual fan is like think about that you know people sometimes knock wrestling if they don't get it but you know and we will defend it by saying these guys are acrobats they're talented you know they can do all this stuff but when you think about it as like Cirque de Salil or some of these things it's like they practice and they have a routine and that yeah. and you imagine these wrestlers doing something that's that's like on the spot where they're doing these moves where they have to match up and they have to kind of read each other's minds. Like that takes it a whole new level of like complexity and, and challenge that Gosh, they just a, have to make it work.
3: What a, what a great, great, great analogy. Yeah.
1: It's like feeder, except you're the
3: stage is surrounded and it's in a ring. It's,
1: it's just like, and you don't have a script you memorized
2: before. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: It's, it's a so crazy, whole different form of entertainment. And so many people dedicate their whole lives to doing it because there's something in them that mm-hmm. wants to do it. Like the yeah. Hulkster at the club. He's like, I yeah. need I,
3: something. I need to get well, in. There. I mean, these guys here, you guys are right. I mean, like, especially these old, old, old school guys, like, they, boy, they, the stuff they went through. I mean, it, it, you know, it's unfortunate because, what we probably what many others may know is just the the, the downward spiral. I mean, I just saw the Iron Cheeks AE special, uh, unbelievably awesome! Like that was a, such a great story. But he ended up with you know drug problems, and a lot of these guys did because they they literally, I mean, they were literally every single night of the week, and it and it it just did, it did take its toll and you know the modern wrestler maybe in for their benefit is more of a weekend warrior and then one or two shows here or there uh, it's different the travel is different you know everything's different and they all and it's not to dismiss today's wrestlers as, you know but it, it just was a different time if they did different wrestle, accommodations too yeah. i mean those oh, cars yeah. weren't nice right okay so let's let's talk about this because this is the story Bob Orton says he, Piper and Morocco were traveling to another city and they got a rental car. Um, the car that they were on because they were they were having some uh, roadie, roadies on the way. Uh, so basically they're driving and it's pouring rain. The car um, spins and it goes over railroad tracks, like literally oh goes God. over railroad tracks. So they don't know what to do. They They can't. So they literally left the rental on the railroad tracks left it, oh, like man. in the rain, <laughs> away in the rain and walked. And so they, um, they were in Bob Orton says they are in a holiday inn, which was a holodome. And I don't know, um, uh, Mike and Matt, if you remember holodomes, Steve and I do, they basically mm-hmm. were, the holiday inn was like it, big square, everything opened and was open And in the middle of the holiday inn was this huge like pool and all kinds of other stuff. But it was literally like, and so, Bob Wharton says he he goes to bed, he gets this phone call that and basically he's like, your buddies are getting arrested because of <laughs> what they did. So Bob says he walks out of his room, buck naked, and the oh. door locks behind him. So now he's <laughs> butt naked in this holodome and he left his room. So he's like, I got to get back to my room. So the cops now come up and he's buck naked. And he's got to get back in his room. They let him back in his room, and he they start to you know have this little argument, and he gets tased while he's in the room. Whoa. And, and basically, long story short, they realize he's like, I had nothing to do with this. And so eventually the cops are like, all right, we're really sorry. <laughs> so then he had to go and bail out. Uh, Roddy and uh, Don Morocco out of the jail. Oh my but gosh! What a freaking Holy unbelievable shit. story! Like I met. Imagine today if that happened. I
0: was just about to say, if you on mainstream news saw a story about a man, <laughs> an innocent naked man in a hotel getting tased wrongfully by police, <laughs> and the police admitting to it like almost immediately, it would be national news in a heartbeat. In a
3: heartbeat. Yeah, unreal. Uh, just amazing, I, and. I guess this is this does, you know, it, it precludes some of the most important portions of his next part of his his run in this Carolinas. But it's these relationships that Orton had with this group of guys that he actually maintains throughout most of his career. In fact, like I said, he kind of ebbs and flows with different groups. And then even when he, you know, he goes to the WWF and then he leaves the WWF he basically is still with those same guys and they're still putting on independent shows and doing all kinds of things. I mean, just to give you one other sense of the camaraderie he has, this is years later, he and Paul Orndorff um, he said he was asked in this interview, what was the best match you ever had? And he said, honestly, it was an independent show in South Carolina with Paul Orndorff. In essence, they didn't, they didn't know how the crowd was going to react because they both had been bad guys. And Orndorff had been a good guy. So basically they're like, well, let's just figure it out in the ring. So they go into the ring and then in essence, and basically they they both kind of like start and they can't quite tell which way the crowd's going to go. So um Orndorff throws Orton to the floor and uh Orndorff decides he's going to let him in. So he opens the ropes, Orton comes in, they kind of shake hands. Orton throws Orndorf out. And as Orndorff is coming in, Orton pulls the rope and gets him in the groin. And he said, "All hell broke loose." <laughs> and, they, and they were, and they whispered to each other, "Like we got him. All right, let's go." he said, they wrestled for forty-five minutes, just beating the tar out of each other all over wow. this place. You want? So you talked about Cirque du Soleil. These guys were unbelievable orchestra-like conductors. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Boy, they were so talented and creative. Even a guy like Orton, who never was a world champion, so talented in their minds. You, it, it's no wonder why today so many of the good bookers and agents are guys from this generation. right I really That's wish a point.
2: Going,
0: to, going to wrestling shows today, it, it would be great to have something as simple as what you just described. Oh, you're so right. Just something that just sets the crowd on fire. Because I've been to, I mean, all of us here at Keep the Fave we've all been a lot to, been to a lot of, I should say, local pro wrestling shows where you see matches where they re- nobody knows who these guys are. So they got to figure it out in the ring. Like, right. where is the crowd going to swing?
3: A hundred percent.
0: a lot of times it's very cut and dry who the babyface is, who's the heel. But sometimes it's not. And you have situations like that, like Bob Orndorf and Cowboy Bob Orton.
1: Do you think that what's the problem like Vince basically demolished the territories because when you're in a territory you just get such a bead on like what sets off this vicinity and then when you make it like so homogenized like all over then it kind of loses it because you're just not dialing it in like so hot so hard for one specific crowd Yeah I wonder And it just basically changed wrestling like when it all got bought up right
3: yeah, mike, you're 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 on to something here where um where I do think that what's lost today, and this is something that that I really felt like in researching Orton and just going back on his, is what's lost is I don't think back then they 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 had a plan, but it wasn't as scripted long term. It Mm -hmm. was kind of more, you know, like, all right, let's see how this goes. And if it doesn't go, they're going to scrap it just because Mm -hmm. there wasn't the intensity of television or or technology or social media. So, like, right. They literally could go. I mean, Steve, how many times did these guys, these world champions literally just they're like, "Uh, I'm going to lose the title tonight because I know I'm going to see you two weeks from now. I want to make we want to make more money in a couple of weeks. So let's just let's just flip the title.
2: And half mm. the time it wouldn't even make it to the mainstream like you would the, never know. Things like that happened and like those of us that mm. only watched on television or whatever didn't even know it happened. Yeah. Like oh, we gave awesome. the example we gave the example a couple episodes ago where Harley Billy Race was this dominant champion in the NWA. He went to Japan, lost the title to somebody there, a Giant Baba, I think it was, and mm-hmm. then made sure he got it back before he went back <laughs> to the states. And they didn't really acknowledge it at the time. But
3: the, re- but the reason he did it was because Baba was competing with this, with a An- with Anoki and their and their major federation. He'd give and a boost, yeah, and he gave them the boost by being world champion, NWA world champion, so he got a bigger check. Then they got a bit, you know, it, and it was just interesting. But Mike, to your point, I do think today, like, let's let's just talk for a second about Sammy Guevara. Like mm-hmm. right now, it feels like they're jamming him down our throat again because mm-hmm. right because of this, you know, all axis and all this stuff, you know, at the end of the day, like, I don't know. I, I I've heard of, I've heard the, the group a little bit. I'm not quite always on the group. I hate his guy. He's an idiot. Like I can't stand him. Like worse promos. I don't like his wife. I mean, like, and at the end of the day, it's like, why not just embrace this? But you're, they're trying to force feed that he's going to be some kind of character. And I think that's where the scriptedness of today is gets in the way of, of more of the um, on the fly of yesteryear.
0: I think that's a great analogy, Gary, because yeah, Sammy Guevara is the perfect example. Like he's one of those rare few wrestlers who is a heel on screen and in real life. And if you're looking for examples, like, well, come on guys, how do you know he's a heel in real life? Look at the situation that happened between him and his former fiance. And then six months later, he's with Ty. Like don't tell and me something didn't just happen acting
2: like gross race. teenagers on social yeah. media, Yeah,
0: exactly. And they're rubbing it in everyone's face. Like, that is not cool, like regardless of whether it's scripted, on screen, you know, part of the storyline, or if it's real life. And in, in this case, unfortunately, it happens to be real life. So no matter how many good matches Simi Guevara has and what angle he's working, whether they try and make him somewhat of a baby face or try and push him as a top star, the crowd's not buying it, to Gary's point. But getting back to the days of yore, that wasn't really so much of a problem because mm-hmm. people didn't have access to that kind of information like nope. they do today. And... To your point, guys, if these guys were working week to week and not all this stuff was televised, yeah, they could drop the title one night, yeah. pick it up two weeks later, and none's the wiser, and you get good matches every single week out of it. Mm-hmm.
3: Steve, I think I mean, I know that you enjoyed uh and loved Orton and Roddy and that whole oh, yeah. story. Um, so maybe you know, let let me let me tag my tag team partner for a few minutes <laughs> and talk a little bit about. You know, the real emergence of Bob Orton in the WWF, because he and Roddy, in essence, made unbelievable music together. And um, and and I know that was a great time in our lives. And I I, I know you, that was a fun, fun ride for you. Uh, would you would you not agree?
2: Oh, yeah. I mean, I, there's a reason there's some reason why that I couldn't explain at the time that I just always loved Cowboy Bob Orton. And it was like you had Roddy Piper. We all know he was the larger than life bombastic character. And then he had this like really stoic, almost like just badass bodyguard in his corner ace, you know, um, cowboy Bob Orton. Uh, And then the other funny thing of that era is like Orton legitimately injured his arm in a big match with Jimmy Snuka. Mm -hmm. And I guess it legit took a while to heal, but they had this great storyline and, you know, like classic wrestling. He wore a brace. And of course he wore it long, long, long after he needed it. And of course long. he used it as a weapon <laughs> and he won many a match by clubbing somebody when the ref wasn't looking with his cast or lost. As, or or lost. lost. Yeah. But it was just, you know, it's that classic wrestling uh, thing of like, you know, he's got the, you know, I, I I'm think trying to remember off the top of my head, other guys, but there's others that have done that iron Mike sharp, that jobber that like the eighties, he had like a metal arm plate th- or brace thing. And of course he used it as a weapon um but
3: yeah they, you guys he yeah. literally had a a cast on a his. cast a white so, cast so yeah. what he said was originally originally it was on his right arm but he couldn't wipe his behind so he made them have his left arm to <laughs> be the one that was injured I yeah it was it's hilarious. so great
2: it's so great he's like, um wow.
3: When asked, why was the cast on your left arm? He said, well, I needed to wipe my ass. And so it was with my right hand. So I put it on my left.
2: <laughs> I have a feeling that if we get to interview him, um he'll love to tell stories like that, like every time he's asked. Mm-hmm. Um Yeah, no, he feuded with Tito Santana for the Intercontinental title. He actually got the distinction of being part of the main event of the very first WrestleMania. Yep. If you guys remember, it was um, Piper and Orndorff against Hogan and Mr. T. So naturally Orton was in um, mm-hmm. Piper's corner. Um, heat, Yeah, that,
3: that might've been the very, if you look up heat in the dictionary, that might've been the very definition. of <laughs> Oh, that feud was gold.
2: Yeah. And then he actually got some title matches against Hogan, which um, obviously we all, we, we, we all could put two and two together that he did not win. Um, But then, you know, uh, Gary brought up that, like, wrestling, like, these alliances or these friendships he formed over the years. Uh, uh, He had a brief time years before in the AWA, and he had this alliance with uh, Adrian Adonis. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, now we fast forward to WWF, he actually um, split with Piper and then joined, you know, teamed up, reunited with Adrian Adonis. And then Piper...
3: yeah. Because that was when Piper went off to do they yes. live and some movies. Right. So he went off camera. And so they they paired Orton back up with Adonis.
2: Yes. And then Piper came back after all that was done and he came back a babyface. Mm-hmm. And Orton betrayed him. And then they had a great feud. And uh yep. yeah. He actually and then he yeah, he wound up getting fired from the WWF. I guess there was some sort of disturbance at a Calgary airport at the Calgary airport that got him fired. And Then he 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 went on to New Japan. And then one year in WCW, which which um I think is worth mentioning because um there's a story I've never told before. Never told. And I'm gonna exclusively <laughs> give you the scoop right now on this story that um longtime listeners will, will will be like, Wow, Steve, why didn't you tell this story sooner? But um the year was nineteen eighty nine and um you know a much younger gary williams and steve grubschmidt went to the um milwaukee auditorium which was across the street from the uh what was called the mecca at the time and it's now the uh panther arena it was a wcw house show and, and i don't know i don't think they did they they did not do them very often in this era no. um it was a which I is say, why we went right we went because we were fans and but it was a pretty much a wwf town and um I'd have to, you know, now that we kind of isolated it, I could look up the card, but I just, Gary and I don't have a lot of memories of it other than the crowd was not into it for the first few matches. And it was like, it was like, there's clear. They didn't really know who the people were. And we made the assumption at the time, boy, these must be WWF fans. Well, then what happens? I forget how many matches in a couple matches in cowboy, Bob Orton comes out and people are like, and I remember, I kind of vaguely remember these old guys in front of us. were like, Oh, we like him. Like, cause he was just (laughs) in the WWF and the reaction, he was a heel and the reaction he got was uh, like it's just crazy like the crowd was cheering him more than anybody that like that night except when like later on when like the road warriors and stuff come out but um and at first you know classic heel he's ignoring it but he didn't do anything overt like you know pump up the crowd or anything but you could see he was having fun and starting to embrace Mm -hmm. that the crowd was behind him um you know that i love that and um Oddly enough, if that's the show we're thinking of, I don't remember this at all. I actually thought he won the match, but it, apparently it was his first, you know, he was beating some people in WCW at the time, and that was his first defeat It was in WCW mm-hmm. was uh, that match in Milwaukee. He lost his, uh, a fellow by the name of Mike Justice. But uh, yeah, that's, that's our fond uh, Bob Borton memory that uh, if we get to talk to him, um, he's going to have to indulge me and, and hear my story. Oh, he'll love it. I think he will. Yeah.
3: He'll totally remember it.
2: Yeah. Oh, yeah, right. How could you not forget your auditorium <laughs> days in Milwaukee?
3: I know I don't.
2: <laughs> well, it's, I don't know how you I mean, I'm glad cuz uh, I haven't told this story before, so um I must yeah. have left the last. It's going we'll to sure leave a can. lasting impression on 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 Matt in particular.
0: Always has. Always will.
3: Yeah,
2: then now forever.
3: The WWF run Steve was 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 his is the pinnacle of his career and he even admits in his interview like what he and Roddy did were completely magic and and really after that it was hard to to replicate but yeah. you know he did end up in um before he left the WWF he did end up in a feud with uh Don Morocco and um uh they were they, they were after they were tag team partners then they did the classic split up and then they feuded together again same guys and so now he's on the road with his buddies and it, it, you know it's just a this is kind of cool. He talked a lot about how how great Mr. Fuji was at the
2: time. Oh, I can imagine.
3: One other person though that he was close with um although was his enemy was Captain Lou Albano cuz Captain Lou um for those of you that know or remember he he was with Cindy Lauper, and that, that he was part of the 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 rock and roll connection. wrestling was, yeah. rock and wrestling connection and he he was in Cindy Lopper's um girls just want to have fun video as the as the dad Um, Orton talks about this genuine love of like literally love for Lou Albano and the reason was in the 1960s um, I think Mike you will like this because on the last episode we talked about the riots of uh, wrestling in the 1960s when his father was wrestling in Florida apparently they were in this uh, unbelievable angle where they were literally, um, rioting and he, and he couldn't get out of the ring and captain Lou, he says, captain Lou single-handedly saved his dad's life. He came down to the ring with a gun and started shooting it to get them out of the ring. That's um, crazy. And he helped, he helped save it. I mean, he, he, he was like very sincere about it in terms of saying like, yeah, he saved my dad's life uh, that night. Um, I can you imagine? Can you no imagine that?
0: no <laughs> i i can't i don't even really know what to say in regards to that
3: it's it, it's stunning actually uh to hear that story and just be like wow you, you the guy literally saved his life so pretty cool um <clears throat> you know one other thing Sorry. i i, I want to bring up um so after the wwf steve I, do you i don't know how you recall and now mike and man this is starting to get into the night the late the 90s and into you know basically in before he comes back for his Hall of Fame room in 2005 the, the wrestling world is kind of tipped on its scales a little bit because the WWF is going through the steroid scandal and it's starting to kind of 90s-ish itself which became like kind of weirdly goofy and mm. uh, so these this group of guys um and uh, your favorite, Matt, Jim Brunzel, um, mm-hmm. they, they they all go to form this interesting league in nine, basically in 1994-ish. Um, it was called the AWF. And their thing was uh, they did rounds like literally they would have four or five rounds of uh, like a minute or two or whatever. And you had to try to get the pinfall. It was kind of like this throwback to what wrestling was. Um, and all the guys that, you know, like Tito Santana, uh, Jim Brunzel, Paul Orndorf, all these guys were now in this league. I actually went back and uh, YouTube some of the episodes and I was like, oh my God, like I had I had never seen it and I'm kind of glad I didn't at the time. Yeah. but it was very bizarre but he he was in this league and basically he battled with um, Tito Santana for the the world title of which Tito Santana was the champion.
2: You guys imagine like like nowadays, like a, like AEW, like you got like Darby Allen's going to war with uh Sammy. Oh, hold on, it's the end of the round. Now we got to, they're gonna go sit
3: in their corner and rest. And like it's just like <laughs> it's a reason.
2: Mis- I mean, it would make picture in picture more logical.
3: It actually was the it, believe it or not, to some degree, it probably was the precursor to what they ended up doing with Ring of Honor later on in terms of the pure championship. Not like, uh, they tried to do this thing, but but how do you do that with cowboy Bob Orton, who had a freaking cast? on his arm for most of his career and wasn't like a wrestler you know and so it was interesting um but so bob morton transitions um between you know as he was transitioning between nwa wwf and all of that there's another story that i think is really telling in terms of the 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 sheer difference between then and today which is um so in Earlier, um, in the mid 80s or so, and in one of his first runs to Japan, um, he was, um, the Japanese were known for having this big, and they still do have this big tag team tournament. Um, and so in in one of his early runs, he was teamed with a guy named Don Curnoodle. And um, so they were out in Japan. And in the semifinals, it was Don Carnoodle and Bob Orton against the Von Erics. And this was, you know, early 80s. And so, like many decision-making back then, it was about saving face. And Fritz von Erich, who was a world-class championship wrestling promoter a long time, and then his son, his sons were out in J- Japan, and he told his sons, you will not lose. Like, you cannot lose um, because I don't want you losing to that team because it's going to reduce the credibility of our titles. So basically they force a disqualification so then kernoodle and Orton advance uh, and um and they end up you know winning the tournament but but they save face right so fast forward now uh it's it, that was early 80s now fast forward into the later 80s and Orton returns to the tag tournament now with his former partner who he had been with um Dick Murdoch and so they the japanese so dick they're in the they're in their dressing room and the um the faces the baby faces are in one the heels are in the other dressing room so the agent the japanese agent comes in and says um that um he says uh the von Erics are going to go over in essence and they're going to pin you bob orton and bob says no i called my dad he said he said i can't lose so the agent goes back to the dressing room for the Von Ericks, and the Von Ericks are like, must've had a conversation, sent them back. And they said, okay, he's going to pin Murdoch. And Murdoch's like, Nope, he's not going to pin me. I I'm with him. His dad said, I'm not getting pinned. So they go back to the Von Ericks. the Von Ericks come back and Orton. Legitimately says, I am, we were messing with them. We were totally fine, but the agent comes back and they say, okay. Like they really are trying to figure out. And he said, and so Orton says to the agent, you tell them if they want to beat me, they have to beat me up. And so the agent goes back, they go to the ring and they get introduced and there's this long pause. And the next thing you know, a Japanese team comes out. The Von Erichs split. Because they were afraid that Orton and Murdoch were really gonna kick their ass. So they just <laughs> completely left. They completely they completely disappeared from the tournament, got replaced by this Japanese team, and the and Bob Orton's like, I, I was we really were kind of joking with him, but uh. Oh my gosh. Oh, wow. So
0: so essentially we all know who would win in a shoot fight now because
3: Exactly
0: it seems like the Von Erics would have forfeited.
3: Well, You're right. Well, another great Bob, a final good Bob Morton story from this era was, um, he had a long-standing feud with Mr. T as well. You guys, he was Mr. T. You know, was obviously an actor, but he, well, he was in pretty good shape, wouldn't you say, Steve? I mean, Mr. T wasn't was kind of holding. No, he he did, yeah. So totally. they have this match in Phoenix. I think it was on Saturday nights, a main event. Orton goes, uh, Mr. T goes back to the dressing room and literally has an oxygen mask on. Mm-hmm. And cause he's so like disheveled from his in his wrestling match. He's got this oxygen mask on. Bob Orton said, I, I turned, turned the corner and I had a beer and a cigarette in my hand. And Mr. T said, do you want some of this? And Bob's like, not nope, doing just fine like, yeah, with my beer and my cigarette he walks off so great i'm like oh my gosh can you again can you imagine one's
2: a pro yeah one's a pro the other's a a celebrity
3: (laughs) so well i think you guys you know in the 2000s he gets inducted the hall of fame and then there's a lot of um you know different iterations of orton at that point um i i don't know what you all recall of that i mean he he's basically now a manager for son and they do a series of angles um basically with the undertaker and some other things uh but you know the, the really interesting thing was when orton was asked about his son he 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 did not he's he was he's very proud of him but he didn't train him he he let him be trained by other people but he did help him with his psychology but other than that he said no i let randy get trained on his own and it, it was just do kind it of his really, own way yeah it was hmm. really cool because i think you know I'm, I'm a lot of a, a lot of parents are you know they're they want to really control what their what their kid is doing and he was he kind of like allowed him to do his own thing not everybody's that
1: lucky you know kind of um, ever see friday night lights like those football players who grew up yeah. in Texas, mm-hmm. like, hey, I won state, and you better <laughs> get out there and win state just like your daddy. You yeah. know, like that's the Tim McGraw role. If Ooh, you uh, awesome. can't, uh, you know, pick up my great acting chaps, it was great. That
0: was, that was the, I thought it was him. It sounds more like <laughs> the Righteous Gemstones to me, but go on. It did.
3: Oh my gosh, you're right. <laughs> best show ever. I love it. It was kind of like when when Greg the Hammer Valentine showed up last week. I mean, Shout out to Greg, friend
2: of the that. channel. Yeah. 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 And Linda had to pay for it. <laughs>
3: yeah. There's a lot of stars
1: that will show up on this show for sure. So, yeah, speaking of stars, his son Randy Orton doing his own thing mm-hmm. becomes, you know, one of yeah. the youngest uh, WWE champions, I think, of all time, right? That's the record? Yeah. I think he was
2: the young. I think when he won the first title, was like twenty four, mm-hmm.
1: Something like that? Yeah. yeah.
0: Like At that, the yeah. time, that was the record. Yep shit it's yeah
2: i mean the rest is history with him i mean you know like you know i've been i mean i'm not going to bring this up when we talk to bob orton i'm not a big fan of randy but credit where credit <laughs> is due i mean he you can see that his father didn't coddle him or kind of like he did mm-hmm. do it on his own and he mm-hmm. he's a very different style you know he's that mm-hmm. lankier kind of a cerebral uh, wrestler and um yeah i mean they, if you look closely, they kind of look like each other, but he's he definitely developed his own persona.
3: Yeah, that's for sure. I I, I did I did go back and watch a couple matches the other night. Um, they were boy, like uh, there is nothing more for me nostalgic, but also just. You want to talk about just that realism of wrestling. I went back and watched a couple um, mid-80s uh, Bob Orton matches. One was with, um, you know, Paul Orndorff. Another was um, a tag team, you know, against Hogan. I tell you what, he, Bob Orton was an amazing, he bumped unbelievably well. He was a master psychologist in there. He He made people hate him so much that they wanted to see him beat and he did most times got beat Mm -hmm. but again you know we talked about this with the sheep herders bushwhackers last week man there's just there's something to be said about that that character that makes you so angry that you just can't help themselves and and it's gold it's golden and boy he he had a great career doing that he Absolutely. might be one
1: of the most underrated heels of all time. Would you say? Doesn't get talked enough around would, about. Would
2: no, say? I do. I think the word underrated would be good for him I do. because uh, those yeah. of us like Gary right. and you know our generation and older will remember him from the WWF golden years of the 80s. But he never won titles there. He never really. I mean, he won titles other places, but never a world title like Gary said. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like that. Like, even a step below, like, an Arn Anderson, where, you know, Arn Anderson, everybody knew, never Mm -hmm. got that title Mm -hmm. run. But it's like, yeah, Orton was like maybe one step below that, where, you know, equally good worker that never got, was never given the ball, but didn't still did a masterful job, brought the world in some indirect way, Hulk Hogan, and then like would would put people over with his performances. Um, A very valuable, yeah, unsung hero, really. It's
3: I think it's so important to always remember about wrestling. Like not every guy can be in the main event and not every guy can start the card. There has to be someone, yeah. there has to mm-hmm. be guys that excel in the middle that, that don't make you want to go to the bathroom. He's a glue <laughs> guy. He's a glue guy. He's the glue guy that keeps the show
1: together. Yeah. He keeps your eyes glued to the TV and he keeps your ass glued to the seat. His,
2: I don't know. I, I don't remember if I said this last week when we were talking about the bushwhackers. I suddenly thought it, but you know, it's just interesting how wrestling fans have changed. Like, where you know, take AEW, they got guys like Brian Cage and some of these guys, in, and Archer. and people are like, oh, why don't they win more? But, like, to your point, they, not every one, not everybody can win, but two. Those guys will go out there and make wrestling look really good. So, like, why does Brian Cage or Lance Archer need to win all the time when they're making your boy look good and all these guys by just being this like physical imposing figure that that gives them a
3: run but doesn't win? If you if you watch some of Orton's matches from the mid '80s, his his facial expressions, he his flopping, the way he you know his just theatrics, un believably awesome like so draws you into the story and then of course he's got this freaking cast and the dirty dastardly you know i want to use it it just he's he was really good you guys like i and i i look forward to hearing about uh your conversation with him just because i think one of the things i really took away from his um interview was He's super humble, like super humble. Like he's just like, I'm I'm just a guy and I did, I had a great career and did some fun things, but he had very little negative things to say about people. He's just, he's, he, was, he, he pretty much was just like, I, I don't know why you're making a big fuss about me, but like, I'm just, I, I just do what I do.
0: Putting him over before we have a chance to put him over. What yeah, a pro. Gary I mean, Williams, everybody. I mean,
2: I think we got to cling to that like maybe a little like in a second i think you know there's a word you use there like one of his attributes that i think is yeah. the good there that we could give everybody in a little bit
1: yeah it's actually a lot of these unsung heroes do practice this philosophy you might see a lot of them at crusher fest on uh, june 3rd and 4th uh coming up this year can't wait we can't wait to see bob orton there and uh you know what he does keep it he keeps it triple h and that is stay humble stay hungry stay hot
0: triple h baby